Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We will be spending a majority of our time today in verses 10 through 19. But before we read the text, let's start with an attitude of prayer and thanks. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the opportunity to worship you freely and openly. Lord, your enemies are advancing on your people. The forces of evil are making themselves more obvious, and their intentions are clearer than ever. In these times of uncertainty, we know that we can boldly look to you in confidence and be comforted in your sovereignty. We pray, Lord, that you would remind us to wear our armor every day and to keep your sword at our hip. Please guide us into all truth as we explore your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so let's read the text for today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Now, I'm keenly aware that there are easily a 100,000 people who are much more qualified than me that have talked about this very topic. I know that the only credentials that I bring to this are my lack of credentials and a microphone. However, the Holy Spirit within me qualifies anyone to speak his truth from his word as he wills. I am merely a guide, allowing the eternal teacher to speak through me, and I hope that I can lead us into some deeper insight through the text in front of us. I have been called to equip the saints, truly, but the reality is that it is Christ that equips us. So at this time, please consider the words of the Lord that I am compelled to speak. Now, to understand this particular passage of Scripture, as we have to do with several passages of Scripture, we need to relate this with both the context of the entire Bible and Scriptures that directly reinforce the truths contained here. So, let's dive into the depths of the wellspring of wisdom that is available to us in Ephesians 6. Beginning in verse 10, we are told to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. To cooperate with God 
and to give room for him to work in us, we need to recognize and rejoice in our weaknesses. Paul understood this when the Lord Jesus spoke to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So, how is Christ our strength? Deuteronomy 24 says, For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Also in Isaiah 40, 29, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Again, in Psalm 118, verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Let's go back and let's look at verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, verse 13 echoes something very similar. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and, having done everything, to stand firm. We're going to get to verse 12 here shortly, but there is plenty that we can draw out of these texts right here. So let's ask ourselves a few questions. Why does the Bible repeat itself? When the Bible repeats itself, it's intentional. There are no coincidences with God, and he does this to communicate that what he is repeating is extremely important. It's much like when you remind your kids to behave a certain way at the grocery store, or when your boss sends you those reminder emails about a deadline coming up, or when your parents remind you about finishing your chores before you can play Xbox. But what do these three examples have in common? They are reminders. And what we are reminded to do, and what we are being reminded of, should be the context of everything else that is going to be said moving forward. So what is the end result if we do what Paul says and we act upon it? It says you'll be standing firm and resisting. Both verses 11 and 13 say that. But what is the opposite of this? You will have fallen, been defeated, and you will be unstable. The ground that you are standing on will be uneven, and you will be lying wounded and bleeding. But wait, we're talking about wearing armor here, right? Yeah, we are. But what kind of armor? The armor of a holy God. Romans 13.12 says, The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Why is our armor made of light? Because John 8.12 says that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, 
but we'll have the light of life. So we are putting on Jesus Christ. But what is the purpose of this armor? It's to protect us from attacks, right? That's how it's always been. Armor is to protect us from attack. Are we under attack? Yes, absolutely we are. It's hard not to tell that we're being attacked. As a Christian, we're in a state of war every single day. And we must resist in the evil day, which is mentioned here in verse 13. When is the evil day, though? Ephesians 5, 15-17 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because, here it is, the days are evil. Every day is evil, which means we have to wear this armor every day, right? Verse 17, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, what is the will of the Lord? Romans 12.2 says that the will of the Lord is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so now, who are we resisting? If we're supposed to be resisting on the evil day, who are we resisting? We're resisting the devil and his demons. Now we can look at verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we've established it is the devil and his minions. What is his goal? What is he trying to accomplish? We can compare his schemes to the thief in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Satan loves to steal your joy, steal your attention, steal your interest in the things of God. He would love nothing more than to see you dead. Or equally as problematic, he would like to see you useless in your faith. Because our opponent is beyond our power to resist on our own, he is a very formidable foe. So we need to rely upon someone who is far above our enemy. And there's only one person who can offer up this deliverance. And I think we know who that is. We are told in verses 11 and 13 that we need to wear the full armor of God. So let's look at what we're called to wear and let's dissect this further. Right? Beginning in verse 14. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now before we go any further, we are going to see all of this spiritual truth through the lens of military and wartime tactics. We have to, because we have to come to the realization 
that there is a war going on against spiritual foes that we cannot see or hear or fight in a strictly literal sense. For some, we're in the middle of a battlefield and we don't even know it. But as believers in Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection, we are conscripted into the ranks of his army. And that is the army of the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because we are now citizens of heaven. Therefore, we are now soldiers in Christ. And this is a great calling. But that requires us to conduct ourselves in a way that is fitting of a soldier. 1 Peter 5, 8-9 describes this. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So, now that we've given all the pieces of the armor of God, let's break down what spiritual attributes we're supposed to equip ourselves with. We have truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. Now imagine for a moment that we will purposely not put on the full armor of God. We will put everything on except one thing. So what would be lacking in us? Can we believe in the gospel of Christ, our Redeemer, if there is no truth in us? If we choose not to wear the belt of truth? Can we have faith if we do not take up the word of God? Can we defend ourselves against the fiery arrows of sin and death without a plan of salvation? Without the helmet being worn on our head? We can keep going, but do you see how none of this would work unless we wear the whole thing? Each piece fits perfectly with each other. And we would have an obvious weak point if anything was missing. And that's exactly where Satan will be aiming when we drop our guard. Because whether we believe it or not, we drop our guard constantly. We are to wear this armor all the time. Notice a key difference, though, in these pieces of armor. The first three are things that are intended to be put on like clothing. Hence it says, put on the belt of truth, right? Gird your loins with truth. We are equipped by the Holy Spirit at all times with these three things, but we have to make sure we acknowledge them and we recognize day by day, hour by hour, that this holy encumbrance is carried with us wherever we go. This is more of a passive equipping, a spiritual constant that should exist in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit dwells within the temple of our body, we're supposed to gird, that is, to put on, or live in such a way that these characteristics of the Christian life are evident in us. Think of the way that two armies would stand opposite each other in full battle array before they charge at each other. 
there is no confusion as to who is against who. Each side has armor and siege weapons and flags with unique markings, with colors, with styles that are easily recognizable. And each nation marches under a particular banner. And this is the banner that they serve under and are risking their lives to protect. In the same way, we are soldiers, right? And we are to be recognizable as Christians. Do the people around you, or even in your own church, know what you stand for? So, let's start with the belt. The girding our loins with truth. Paul was intentional in starting with this piece of equipment. The belt is the central part of the armor that holds all the other pieces together. Without truth, that is, Christ Jesus, we have nothing. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In a very literal sense, you know, he holds together all of creation, but he also holds together our armor. It is through Christ that we are able to see things clearly the way they really are. And with this sobriety, we can distinguish the truth from the lies around us, and we can hold fast to what is legitimate. Keeping this in mind, it only makes sense that the imputation of righteousness in our hearts would come next, in the form of a breastplate. By our belief in the truth and the Lord's predestined choosing of us before the beginning of time, the Lord Jesus shares his perfect righteousness with us, making us acceptable and worthy of being in the presence of our Heavenly Father. The breastplate, in effect, provides protection for our hearts and all of the vital organs that are necessary for us to live. What God has done for our souls is of a similar imagery, in which he creates an impenetrable defense in us that gives us an assurance of our salvation and has preserved our lives from eternal separation from him. Righteousness exists within us, but it is not originating from us. It comes from God, right? As a soldier waxes and polishes his breastplate, it is imperative that we live in such a way that the righteousness of Christ, as brilliant as the sun, shines and reflects his glory through our actions and through our motives. The third piece is that of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the message of peace with God. It has been prepared for us by the Father through the Old Testament prophecies, through the birth of Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. God doesn't need us to spread his gospel among men, but we have the unique privilege of being invited and commanded into the activity. This is why Jesus gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This gospel is given to us by the Lord, which was prepared for us beforehand, and we are the feet of this gospel, hence it being shod to our feet. 
we are commanded to put steps toward the spread and influence of the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, as we saw, the first half of the armor of God is more of a passive equipping that requires us to be reminded of what we have in Christ. The second half of the armor tells us to take up a shield, a helmet, and a sword. The Greek language and wording here is distinctly different in the usage of the words, emphasizing more of an active response to the threats of an enemy. So let's examine this a little bit. We are first told to take up faith like a shield, to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So it bears asking, what are the flaming arrows that we're supposed to be watching out for? The Bible gives us four specific ways that Satan attacks us. First, it's through his influence in the systems and principalities of the world that he rules over. 1 John 5.19 says that we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Second, he tempts us into betraying our Lord by making sins as enticing and as attractive as possible. Third, with God's permission, he tries to afflict us with sickness, with persecution, or with terrible tragedies. And lastly, he uses false teachers and fake Christians to lead true believers astray. Our faith allows us to discern what is true from what is false. 1 John 4, 1-2 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which we know is powered by Satan, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. When our faith is tested through trials and hardships in life, we are to take up our shield and be protected by the promises of God. The Lord is our master, who bought us at a price and is completely capable of keeping us safe through our storms. Romans 14.4 says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. There is one last piece of defensive armor to consider, and this is the helmet of salvation. This one needs a bit of explanation in order to not misunderstand this. We have to first establish that we simply cannot equip ourselves with salvation whenever we want to. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have perpetual, continuous salvation that cannot be disturbed, lost, or taken away. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, having listened to the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Do you see? You cannot lose your salvation once it's given to you. Also, Jesus assures us of this in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So then, if salvation is outside of us and is not simply something we put on, what exactly is the helmet of salvation supposed to do for us? Think about what a helmet does for you during a physical battle. It protects your head from attack. Well, what's in your head? Well, it's your brain, your mind, right? Therefore, it is the confidence of the salvation we have in Christ Jesus that protects our mind from the poisonous words of this world. Satan loves to put circumstances in front of us or whispers into our lives that try to dissuade us. We've all had them. If God really loved you, you wouldn't be suffering like you are right now. If God really was good, why does he allow evil people to get away with it? Nobody cares about you. You are not important enough for even God to care about you. You've all heard those voices, haven't you? If we are not holding fast to our promise of salvation, it's easy to listen to these voices, isn't it? This is why we insulate our heads with the promises of God's deliverance and focus on the race that is ahead of us. Our armor seems to be complete, except for the fact that we are not on the battlefield fully decked out as a moving target for demons to aim at. God gives us an offensive piece of armor that is to stay at our side at all times. This is the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. The Bible is our strongest weapon, because God is the strongest of all, and His words are what is written for us. Hebrews 4, 12-13 says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The product of a perfect God is perfect power in all that he does, and he is immune to the deceptions and plots of evil. This is why we must cling to the Bible. We must have a spiritual sword because a material sword cannot fight a spiritual foe. So, 
Clutching the sword in our hand, God requires us to respond to the activities of the enemy, and we must do it without fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So how do we wield and use this weapon? Jesus teaches us how to wield it in Matthew 4, when he confronts Satan in the wilderness. Any deception or temptation that was thrown at him was deflected with Scripture, and in his case, the book of Deuteronomy. He demonstrated that there is nothing more effective than relying on the truth and power of God's Word. Jesus is the Word of God himself, and he could have easily commanded Satan to leave his presence. But he endured the temptation for two reasons. So he could be the perfect sacrifice, advocate, and high priest on our behalf, and for us to be instructed by his example. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Also, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24 says this, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Now normally, when we talk about the armor of God, the conversation stops here. But I think this is a grave error. There is still one more weapon that we have not yet talked about, and it is of vital importance in relation to God and our survival in this world. Ephesians 6, verse 18 says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. That's the weapon right there. It's prayer. Prayer is our secret weapon. There's a rather famous pastor out there named John Piper, and he described prayer in this way. It is a two-way, wartime walkie-talkie. I couldn't find any better description of it, nor could I describe it any better myself. Everything miraculous that happened through a human being was done with an attitude of prayer. Jesus himself prayed constantly to his Father, and the miracles that he performed were done in communion with his Father. As soldiers in the Lord's army, we have the advantage and the privilege to be able to pick up this walkie-talkie, press the button on the side of it, 
and talk directly to the supreme commander of heaven. We can converse with, with King Jesus anytime we want. We can receive words of comfort, words of instruction, and words of wisdom anywhere, anytime he chooses. It is through his word that we learn how we ought to pray and to have the wisdom in petitioning unselfishly and on behalf of others. But who does the Bible say that we pray for? There are three groups. First of all, the members of our unit, which are our family members, our direct brothers and sisters of Christ. We also need to pray for the members of our platoon, which is the local church. The entire branch of our military needs prayer, which is the global church. The last verse to consider at this time is Paul's request for prayer for his own ministry. Ephesians 6.19 says, And pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. This prayer should be our prayer as well. He is calling up the Supreme Commander on his wartime walkie-talkie, and he is requesting a carpet bombing of enemy lines. He is asking for missile strikes on the stronghold of Satan so that the gospel will penetrate enemy lines and we can rescue souls from the prisons of demons. The gospel is the key to the salvation of the lost, and we are the infantry that carries it into the battlefield. God supports this, and this is precisely why Christ has not returned yet. 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9 say, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Do not misunderstand the message that Peter is sending us. We do not know when the Lord will return. We do not know how much time we have left, and frankly, it doesn't matter. The point to this is that we are supposed to deploy now. We are to train now, grow in wisdom now, get the gospel in the ears of as many people as we can now. Use the few short years that we have in our lives to work something in God's kingdom now. The sense of urgency is there. That's why Peter follows up with this statement in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It'll come out of nowhere. It'll come instantly. In which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its work will be burnt up. Not only that, but everyone who does not know Christ will burn up with it, and the burning will last for all eternity. The spirit within us should be disturbed by this reality. Do we love the billions of lost souls in this world enough 
to share the gospel with them, doing all for the glory of God? The orders are from up high, and our commander on high has issued this command to us, and we must obey. Not by compulsion, but by the desire to see people repent and rejoice in our God. Is that your desire? I certainly hope so. And if it's not, this is the time. This is the time to examine yourself. Do you care because you are told to care, or do you care because you have that burning in your heart that you must do something? Do you feel empty and void inside because you're too worried about yourself or not wanting to get outside of your comfort zone? Considering what we have at stake here? So it's either that you don't love God and you don't want to obey him, or you are not his child. They're both wrong, and they're both something that need to change. So I ask you to repent if this is you, and to give full effort for the glory of God. Because that's what he wants from us. And that's what this world needs from us. Again, God doesn't need us. He wants us involved in this activity. And we need to be obedient to our master. For he owns us. And because he owns us, he does as he wills with us. And it's much easier to cooperate than it is to resist him. There are consequences if we resist him, and I don't want anyone to suffer them. So make your decision today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you have any comments, please send me an email. And as always, thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. God bless you.